Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello, Sixpackers, and welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic, episode 48. A storm is coming, a spiritual storm. Only a fool would say that there's no storm coming. In fact, we're already being battered by the pre-storm gale force winds. The evils that are confronting us both in the world and in the church are such that we've never seen before in history. One way I've been made aware a storm is coming is by watching the way God is rallying his troops in the things I'm personally involved with. As of today, my listening audience has grown by 306% in the last 28 days without me doing anything to promote the cantankerous Catholic. Over the last two months, people signing up for the JoeSixPackAnswers.com email list has quadrupled, again, without me doing anything to promote it. My Sunday bulletin insert subscriptions have dramatically increased without any sales and marketing effort on my part. As you know, I write a weekly column in the Wander newspaper. I work very closely with the publisher, Joe Matt. Although I can't divulge details, a lot of good things are happening with the paper in the near future. All these things are providential, but they're what others would call coincidental or accidents. I don't believe in coincidence or accidents. I have the advantage of seeing the storm coming by watching the positive things that are happening, but current evil within and without the church is what we can all see to know a storm is coming. We're way past the time that we can have a live-and-let-live attitude toward the commission of evil by other people, because other people's acts now have a direct effect on us individually. We have to actively take a stand against all the evils that confront us. Whether we fight or not, though, we have to spiritually prepare ourselves for the storm that's coming. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told us 2,000 years ago in a very quiet and low-keyed way how to prepare for this storm, and I'll explain that after we pay the bills. Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, is a welcome visitor to parishes across the United States every Sunday through his What We Believe, Why We Believe It bulletin inserts. Using humor, immutable truth, and ignoring political correctness, Joe Sixpack helps the average Catholic in the pew better know and understand our holy and ancient faith in a way that is refreshing, awe-inspiring, and makes readers chest-pounding proud to be Catholic. And readers love it. Now you can enjoy Joe's work by getting the best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It book series. In fact, get two copies of each book, one for yourself and one for your pastor. Then your priest can decide if he wants to help your fellow parishioners by subscribing to the What We Believe, Why We Believe It bulletin inserts. Get your copy of the best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It by Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes and Noble, and Kobo. There's only one way to survive the coming storm, and that's to become spiritually prepared. We need to learn the faith well, of course, but we have to prepare spiritually above all else. Before that can be done, we first have to overcome two debilitating factors. 
The first thing we have to overcome is lying to ourselves or putting our heads into the sand by refusing to accept that things are all that bad. You've heard about putting a frog in a pot of water and bringing it to a boil, right? The frog won't even notice the water is getting hot until it's too late and he's boiled to death. That's what's happening to us. As the evils in the world and the church became hotter, we just accepted the changes like the frog accepts the heating water. But now the water is near boiling and we're about to be cooked alive. It's time to wake up to that reality. The other thing we have to overcome is our apathy. We're apathetic because we've had it much too good for far too long. Even as we went through the worst economic recession since the Great Depression under the Obama administration, the poorest among us still lived better than the most of the rest of the world. So the reason we're apathetic is because we haven't really had to suffer. Change in people, that is displacing apathy, ordinarily comes from suffering. For example, you may know you have a tooth that needs repair, but you don't do anything about it until you get a toothache. Your apathy toward the tooth suddenly becomes a deep concern. So we have to overcome our apathy with a dose of reality. The reality is that a storm's coming, and very few of us have even begun to dig our storm cellars. Long before this storm began to brew, about 2,000 years before, in fact, God the Son told us how to prepare for it. Indeed, one of the most profound statements he ever made was about this preparation, but few people have paid attention or noticed. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Think about that. Jesus said you must become perfect. How perfect? As perfect as God the Father. How perfect is he? Infinitely perfect. And by the mere fact that Jesus used the word must, it's a command that we become perfect. After commanding us to become perfect, Jesus established the Catholic Church just so we could become perfected. That's the whole reason Jesus established the church. But is human perfection possible? Well, as a matter of fact, it is. Did you know that every time the church bestows the title of saint on someone, that it's an infallible pronouncement that that person's soul is in heaven? And scripture is clear that no one can enter heaven unless they've been perfected. Every saint, then, may have been the most imperfect soul there was throughout most of his or her life, but by the point of death had become absolutely perfect. Of course, that came from actively trying to obey Christ's command to become perfect, cooperating with his graces. So obviously, we can become as perfect as God, but only with his help. His help is a little thing called grace. Grace is a supernatural gift that God freely gives us for our salvation. All grace comes to us through the merits of Christ's passion, which is his suffering from Holy Thursday night until his death on the cross, and it's offered to us by his church. To say that grace is a supernatural gift implies two things. The first is that as a gift, we don't have any right to it, but God grants us grace because he loves us. The second is that grace has a supernatural purpose, which is the attainment of heaven. Let me briefly explain grace to you so you can more easily understand about God's help. There are two types of grace, actual and sanctifying. 
actual grace is a divine enlightenment of our mind and strengthening of our will to help us to choose what is good and to avoid evil. Without actual grace, it's impossible for us to do anything that's pleasing to God. We're bombarded by actual grace every waking moment. We respond to God's actual grace every time we do good and avoid evil. By the mere fact that you're listening to this instead of wasting time on something superfluous demonstrates you're responding well to God's actual grace. Sanctifying grace, on the other hand, is best defined as God's life in us. It's a supernatural quality infused into our soul at baptism. Sanctifying grace gives us a share in the divine life and allows us to become a temple of the Holy Spirit, God's friend, and an heir of heaven. Sanctifying grace is necessary for our salvation because it makes us pleasing to God, and this type of grace alone makes possible the attainment of heaven. The more sanctifying grace we have, the more perfect we become, so we have to strive to increase sanctifying grace. Just being in a state of grace isn't enough if you want to become perfect. You have to cooperate with God and actually work at it. It's simple, but it ain't easy. Nothing that's good and desirable is easy, though. Achieving sainthood is more than possible, but we can't do it on our own. While we become true men and true women, that is, doing always and only the holy will of God, we simply have to develop a prayer life relationship with God and continually ask Him for graces to advance us in holiness. Will you mess up? Sure you will. You might even commit a mortal sin from time to time on your journey to sainthood. The key is to take Christ's example. The church teaches that all three times he fell under the burden of the cross on the way to Calvary, which is a metaphorical representation of mortal sin, he got right back up again. That's what we have to do every time we fall. In other words, pray in an immediate act of contrition and plod forward with a fresh resolve to do as you ought to do. Of course, it goes without saying, you also need to go to confession at the earliest possible opportunity. If you're going to get serious about being perfected, I'd strongly recommend you to get a good spiritual director. Now, be careful about who you choose to direct your soul. Just because a man's a priest doesn't necessarily mean he'll be a good spiritual director. There's some priests in the world who aren't faithful to the church's teaching or their sacerdotal vows, but I'm not too worried about you seeking out one like that as a spiritual director, because most priests aren't like that anyway, and you've got enough sense to avoid priests like that. After all, you're a six-packer. Most priests are good, holy men who take the teachings of the church and their priestly vows seriously, but you still have to be careful not because they aren't good priests, but because they might not be equipped for the task. Not all priests are equipped to be spiritual directors. Many aren't trained for it, and among those who are, most haven't been trained in classical spiritual direction. Priests who aren't trained, or have been trained in this modern psychologically-based mumbo-jumbo stuff, might possibly end up having the opposite of the desired effect and cause grave consequences for your immortal soul. That's not the intention of the priest, though. It's just what it is. In addition to avoiding the sort of priests I just mentioned, I wholeheartedly recommend you avoid asking a nun or a layperson to direct you. 
There are probably some good ones out there, I'm sure, but your best bet is always a priest, because a priest possesses the sacramental graces of holy orders. The age of the priest doesn't matter, only the degree of apparent holiness. My spiritual director's only been a priest for about eight years, but he's a very holy man who's well-versed in classical spiritual direction. And under no circumstances let anyone get away with telling you the old waves of spiritual direction don't work anymore, that mankind and the church have advanced beyond those archaic ways. That's a bunch of baloney. Times may change, but man is the very same he was when our first parents gave us original sin. Besides, how many saints do we produce today with the so-called new ways? When classical spirituality and direction were at an historical peak, hundreds, perhaps even thousands of saints came flowing out of the heart of the church. If classical spirituality was good enough for the likes of St. Teresa of Avila, St. Anthony of Padua, St. John Bosco, St. John Paul II, and innumerable others, it should certainly be good enough for you. A good spiritual director is sort of like a coach. If you have a tennis coach, you'll do whatever he tells you so you can become a great tennis player. If you have a good spiritual director, he's going to tell you the things to do too, and you'd be foolish not to do as he says. However, there's still a lot of things you can do on your own, and you really need to start doing them now while you're looking for a spiritual director. Obviously, the first thing you need to do is step up your prayer life. You're not talking to thin air when you pray to God. God really hears you, and he wants to hear from you. You can pray formulated prayers if you find that more comfortable, but you'll make better and faster progress if you learn to respectfully speak to him the way you would to your closest friend. Another aspect to your prayer life is to develop a tender devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary. At the wedding feast of Cana, where Jesus turned the water into wine, Mary told the servants, do whatever he tells you. She's been saying that same thing to us for 2,000 years. If you pay attention to the messages of Fatima, Lourdes, and other approved apparitions, you'll realize that's what she's saying to us in all of them. Do whatever he tells you. Finally, develop a relationship with your guardian angel. You probably won't believe me about this until you try it for yourselves, but you can actually develop a relationship with your guardian angel to the point that you can actually begin carrying on conversations with him. I'm serious. You'll be able to speak to your angel and hear him when he responds. Some blessed souls in history have even been favored with the ability to see their angel. Everyone has a guardian angel. God assigned you this angel when you were conceived in your mother's womb. Your guardian angel will remain with you throughout this life, and he'll be your servant in heaven forever in the next life. Wouldn't it be embarrassing to one day get to heaven and have your guardian angel introduce himself, followed by the accusatory question, Why didn't you ever speak to me? Why did you ignore me all your life when I've been with you since your conception? That wouldn't be very comfortable. It'll be one of those look-at-your-shoes moments. I can explain to you how to avoid this embarrassing situation and learn to carry on a conversation with your guardian angel if you just contact me. I'll be happy to help, but I highly recommend instead that you learn how to do this from the very source where I learned it. 
That would be from the book, The World and Work of the Holy Angels, by Father Robert J. Fox. Father's been gone now for at least a decade, but he was a personal friend of mine. You can trust me when I tell you he knew what he was talking about. And this book will teach you more about angels than you can ever imagine. I'll put a link to the book in my show notes for you. Speaking of reading, another thing you need to begin doing right now is to read the Bible. Catholics are notorious for not reading the Bible, but a whole new world is going to open up for you if you begin reading it daily. You don't have to read a lot every day. Fifteen minutes a day will do the trick. Begin with the Gospels. For now, you can skip the so-and-so begat so-and-so stuff. Just don't skip anything else. After you've read all four Gospels, read the rest of the New Testament. You'll figure out what to do from there. I recommend that you read the Revised Standard Version Catholic Edition. It's the most accurate English version of the Bible available. While I use other versions for comparison in my studies, the Revised Standard Version is the only one I use for my daily reading. I'll include a link for it in my show notes, too. Your reading doesn't stop there, though. Until you find a good spiritual director and he begins assigning you good spiritual reading, you need to begin reading the biographies of all the saints you can get your hands on. I've read several hundred saints' biographies over the last 30 years. You'd be amazed about the things you'll learn that'll help guide you on the road to perfection. I first became convinced that it's possible for anyone to become a saint when I read a biography about St. Dominic Savio that was written by his spiritual director, St. John Bosco. In fact, ever since then, St. John Bosco's been the patron saint of all the evangelistic work I've done. If a tornado's coming to your area, which would you rather be in, a mobile home or a storm cellar? Well, the storm cellar, of course, because a tornado will kill you and demolish the mobile home you're in. Six-packers, the storm's coming. Right now, most of you are living in the mobile home. It's time to build the storm cellar. Time to try to become a saint. Learn things about the Catholic faith you never knew in Joe Sixpack's Secrets of the Catholic Faith. There are many essentials to our holy and ancient faith that few modern Catholics know. Those essentials have become, well, secrets, hence the title Secrets of the Catholic Faith. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, is always exciting, never boring, and completely politically incorrect. He never shies away from the so-called untouchable moral issues. With his use of humor and directness, readers and students can never get enough of what he teaches. According to Joe, there isn't one single teaching of the Catholic Church that can't be completely demonstrated to an inquiring mind. Everything can be demonstrated. But the Catholic laity aren't being taught these things. They're being fed pablum when they need and want meat. Secrets of the Catholic Faith is actually exciting, and it will make any Catholic's chest swell with pride. So get your copy of Secrets of the Catholic Faith by Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes and Noble, and Kobo. Joe Sixpack. The Every Catholic Guy wants to make sure you're informed about all the Catholic news you need to know. Here's Joe Sixpack's top five Catholic news picks for this episode. 
Catholic News Pick number five. Hats off to Catholic News Agency. A Catholic youth group decided to take a page from the 1989 film Dead Poets Society. They gather by candlelight and read from the great books like in the movie, but their focus is on Catholic theology, and they also pray for the holy souls in purgatory. They call themselves the Dead Theologians Society. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick number four. Hats off to the National Catholic Register. The Archdiocese of Indianapolis defended its decision not to renew the contract of a school employee who publicly defended the same-sex marriages of two former colleagues. Kelly Fisher, who had worked as a social worker at Roncalli High School for 15 years, lost her job last spring after she publicly defended guidance counselors Shelley Fitzgerald and Lynn Starkey, two former guidance counselors who were dismissed last academic year for being in a same-sex marriage. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic Catholic News Pick number number three. Hats off to LifeSite News. Despite heavy turnout from parents opposed to the plan, the Austin, Texas Independent School District voted to approve a sex education curriculum that calls for teaching children as early as third grade how to engage in sodomy and put on condoms. Texas? Really? Well, the loony left always gravitates to state capitals. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic Catholic News Pick number two. Hats off to the Daily Wire. The Kentucky Supreme Court ruled 6-0 that a print shop owner does not have to print messages that violate his deeply held religious beliefs. In 2012, Blaine Adamson politely declined a request to print shirts for the Lexington Gay Pride Festival and referred the Gay and Lesbian Services Organization to another printer willing to print the shirts. The GLSO filed a complaint against Adamson's business. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick number 1 Hats off to the Washington Examiner. House Republicans have introduced legislation that would require the burial or cremation of babies after abortions, a response to the discovery of thousands of fetal remains in the garage and car of an abortion doctor. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Warning to snowflakes. If he thinks it, he says it. It's time now for Joe Sixpack's Common Sense Catholic Commentary. It's that time of year again when children want to tell Santa their Christmas gift dreams, their company Christmas parties, we have intimate gatherings of family and friends, and we embark on chronically frustrating Christmas shopping. Ostensibly, the season is promoted to be one of love, joy, and extra civility. In modern times, though, it's anything but that. I get the retail marketing side of things. After all, most retail establishments operate at a loss throughout the year, only making their profits for the year from Black Friday to Christmas. In fact, that's why it's called Black Friday, because that's the day stores shift from operating in the red to operating in the black. 
Retailers, especially small businesses, have to make a profit in order to stay in business and provide jobs. But there are several things about this time of year I find very disturbing. So far as retail businesses are concerned, the president of Hobby Lobby, Steve Green, says his company prioritizes its employees' families over the business itself. Hobby Lobby isn't doing like other retailers. They're not expanding their hours, and they remain closed on Thanksgiving so their employees could enjoy the time off to be with their families. I think all American retailers could learn a thing or two from Hobby Lobby. Business isn't the only thing I'm thinking about. I'm also thinking about Catholics and how the church expects us to view and live during this season. I especially want you six-packers to understand this because you're the cream of the Catholic crop. It's Advent season, not Christmas season. Of course you know that, but based on my experience, I seriously doubt most of you know what that really means. Did you know that Advent isn't a season of celebration, but a season of penance like Lent? Oh, it's not as strict as the Lenten season, but Advent is penitential season nonetheless. Rather than celebrate, we're supposed to be doing penances throughout Advent to make reparation for our sins that caused Christ to come into the world through the Blessed Virgin Mary to give us the good news that he'd make himself a sacrifice to the Father for our sins. Penance not celebration. Christmas for Catholics doesn't begin until Christmas Eve on December 24th. We celebrate Christmas every day until the Feast of the Epiphany on January 6th. Non-Catholics set up their trees and decorations to begin celebrating the day after Thanksgiving and begin taking down their trees and decorative trappings on or about January 1st. We Catholics, on the other hand, aren't even supposed to trim the tree until Christmas Eve, then spend 12 days in celebration. The Advent season is penitential, though. I realize you have to do your Christmas shopping during Advent because that tradition was set by Protestants back in the day when Christianity actually meant something in America. With all the pretty Christmas decorations, which make us recall our childhood memories, it's pretty easy to get caught up in the celebratory atmosphere. But if we're going to be good Catholics, we can't afford to do that. So what do we do about penances during Advent? Well, it's really not as difficult as you might think. Let me give you a couple of tips. I personally refuse to go into any retail establishment this time of year. The reason is that I can't stand to see the way ordinarily decent and courteous people turn into savages, especially when two or more of them are after the same coveted item. Christmas shopping sales seem to be a drug that causes ordinary people to prostitute their human dignity and sense of humanity for a dollar. So any shopping I have to do is always done online. But what do you do as a Catholic if you don't want to do your shopping that way? Here's what I'd do. Before leaving the house to go shopping, you take a few moments to pray to the Holy Spirit, asking Him to grant you calm and to remind you of the example you have to give as a Catholic when you're tempted to succumb to the materialistic greed those around you are displaying. When you're out shopping, every time someone does something rude or offensive, just defer to them when at all possible. In other words, answer unruly behavior with patience, calm, and love. 
So what if someone gets the last of a particular item you wanted to buy? Well, they won't be putting that item into a U-Haul trailer and pull it behind the hearse when you die, so it's not that important. And remember to offer up your response to the bad behavior as a penitential sacrifice to God in reparation for your sins and the sins of the world. This is the time of year when there are seemingly endless social and work gatherings. All those events have an unlimited supply of cookies, cakes, pies, and candy. Is it any wonder we all put on weight this time of year? Apart from the weight gain, these goodies aren't exactly conducive to penitential behavior on our part. If you're a truly heroic person teetering on the edge of sainthood, you might be able to deny yourself the goodies and just offer up your sacrifice. That'd be an ideal penance. Unfortunately, most of us aren't that heroic. I know I'm not. So what do you do? Let's say someone offers you a glass of eggnog and a big piece of red velvet cake. You live all year yearning for these very two delights, but only get the opportunity to have them at this time of year. Then you remember that Advent is penitential, and indulging in these treats aren't exactly in keeping with the penitential spirit. Can you have them? Sure you can. Just defer indulging for five minutes and offer up your desire as a sacrifice to the Father. This is an age-old theological practice. I'm not advocating you be a stick in the mud and not enjoy things typically available this time of year. I'm just saying this is a penitential season, so you should do these little penances so as to live as a good Catholic should. Oh, and remember, practice moderation in all things. Can you see yourself making converts? Very few books have ever been written to teach the mechanics of practical Catholic evangelization, something all Catholics are obliged to do. Of the books available, none teach you a step-by-step method for actually cultivating an inquirer, then taking that inquirer all the way to the baptismal font. Until now, nobody is more qualified to teach Catholic evangelization than Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy. Joe Sixpack has made hundreds of converts since 1988 in small group and one-on-one venues, and 84 of them are his adult godchildren. Consequently, Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, is a virtual treasure trove of how-to resources for evangelization. In the Lay Evangelist's Handbook, Joe Sixpack will show you how to become one of God's rock stars of evangelization, what the two primary obligations are for all Catholics that most people don't know. How to Begin the Journey to Becoming a Saint, The Actual Mechanics of Productive Evangelization, The Dangers of Nice Catholicism, How to Hear God Laugh, What to Do Step-by-Step to Win Over a Convert, and much, much more. Get your copy of the Lay Evangelist's Handbook by Joe Sixpack, The Every Catholic Guy, today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes & Noble, and Kobo. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. Many years ago, a rich Dutch jeweler, accompanied by his servant, made a trip to England. 
The servant had been taken in by the jeweler as a boy and trusted him as a son, but the servant had become envious of the jeweler's wealth. Since the servant knew that the jeweler carried a fortune in jewels, he made up his mind to rob him. He killed the jeweler, took the jewels, then threw the man's body in the river. The murderer settled in a small English town and opened a store. At first he kept the business small to avoid arousing suspicions. Gradually the business grew and he appeared to acquire his wealth naturally. He was a highly respected citizen of the town and eventually became its mayor. Part of his duty as mayor was to preside as the judge in a court. One day a servant was brought before him charged with murdering his master. The jury brought in a guilty verdict. Everyone waited to hear the mayor pronounce sentence. The mayor sat in his chair trembling and pale. He'd become so weak with dread and fear that he could hardly sit up in his chair. The people thought he'd been taken ill, but he suddenly got up, stood next to the murder, and said, Gentlemen of the jury, God is a just judge. I'm a greater criminal than this man. Thirty years ago, I murdered my master and benefactor, who'd lifted me up from the dust and who treated me as a son. My hour has come. Fear has always tormented me, and my guilt has weighed on my conscience. I demand what I deserve. Pronounce my death sentence. Shock and horror gripped everyone present. At first, they thought the mayor had lost his mind, but when he kept insisting on his guilt, they took him to prison. A letter of inquiry was sent to Holland, and his confession was confirmed. He was then condemned to death and later hung. A person who has knowingly kept back a mortal sin and confession is like this mayor. People's opinion may be that he's a good man, but God knows his guilt. If he wants God's forgiveness, he has to confess his guilt and make a general confession of all the sins he's committed since his last worthy confession. The mayor was condemned to death, but God is merciful to the repentant sinner who deserves eternal death for killing Jesus with his sins. That's it for this episode, Six Packers. Join us again next week on the Cantankerous Catholic Podcast. In the meantime, don't forget to visit my show notes and check out some of the special links. While you're there, take time to leave a comment below the show notes to let me know what you thought about this episode. Since you're on the Cantankerous Catholic website, visit the Joe's Stuff page. You can pick up copies of my books as well as view over 100 coffee mugs made just for six-packers. You can also read my weekly column in The Wander, America's oldest independent Catholic newspaper. See my show notes for subscription information and a special rate for six-packers. Thanks for sharing some of your valuable time with me, six-packers. I'll see this you next This has been week. the Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing, and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.